0: Well, we are looking in these days at certain facets, if you will, of faithfulness. Light refracting through that and off of that diamond of faithfulness as we turn it and try and explore the different aspects of what faithfulness looks like, what its different hues are, what its different colors are, and how, as we unpack those aspects, how faithfulness in relationship to God manifests itself. Last week, we looked at humility, and this week, we want to look at integrity. And when we hear that word integrity, we think of maybe synonyms like honest or consistent or true or solid or predictable in a sense that we know what we're going to get from someone, that people can be assured that one will do what they say they will do. That's integrity. And what's interesting about that word integrity is I don't think we often wed it with its, this, the word from the same root, which is the word integrated. Put together. Drawn into some sort of cohesive, consistent reality. Uh, put together or being whole. That, that integrity manifests itself in someone who is integrated someone who is whole. And I think Psalm 15 that I want to read now for us is is a picture of what someone close to God looks like. The psalmist is kind of celebrating that sense of what God's nearness, God's presence, God's literally dwelling in us might create in our life. It's a list of attributes and actions. A person who is consistent in a Dedication to simply honoring relationship. So let me read that now Psalm 15. O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? Those who walk blamelessly and do what is right and speak the truth from their heart who do not slander with their tongue, and do no evil to their friends, nor take up a reproach against their neighbors, in whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord, who stand by their oath even to their hurt, who do not lend money at interest, and do not take a bribe against the innocent. Those who do these things shall never be moved. Let's pray. Lord God, by the power of your spirit, plant our feet on your solid rock. Show us the way to that foundation, that foundation of life on which we stand in Christ. That makes for a life that is firm and and steady and consistent, that will not be jarred loose from that foundation. Show us that way, O God, to wholeness. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I've said it more than once, and it's become more and more obvious to me, the older I get and the longer that I'm in pastoral ministry, that Jesus' first invitation to us, his first invitation to his disciples, as the story is told in the Gospels, his first invitation is not believe in me or adopt these sets of precepts or follow these rules and you're in. His first invitation to us is really a lot more ambiguous than that. It doesn't make any assumptions about anything of what's down the road. It just says, come follow me. Come be with me. Come and see where I'm going and you'll get a sense of whether or not that's the place you want to be. Follow me. Come join me on a journey and see where it takes you, see how it changes you. Follow. It requires our bodies. It requires a sense of participation in a relationship. It requires a kind of integrity, if you will, That's very different from the kind of following that goes on today when we follow someone on Twitter. When we add them by simply checking a box on our social media account to say, yeah, we want to get that person's posts. It's a very different kind of following than a simple click on a thumb that says, yeah, I like that. It requires something of us that involves relationship and participation and investment of, as the psalmist says in Psalm 15, of keeping an oath, even perhaps to our hurt. Following someone in that social media sense is really nothing more and often merely just saying that we agree with them and it makes very little demand on our life, even if we do. We just like reading what they have to say. And following Jesus is a following that is a deep commitment. And it's a deep commitment to listening and staying tuned to the sound of his voice. It's letting something percolate into our souls and allowing that to change us. It's not just I like what you say Jesus and you're my friend and I'm so happy, but I want to be like you. I want what I love about you to become a part of me. I want the whole of my life to reflect what I see in you. And that happens only over time. And it only happens in that present active participle sort of way, following. I want the whole of my life to reflect what I see in you. That's a choice for integration. That's a choice for integrity. And I think that's primarily what Psalm 15 is. It's a list of stuff, it's a list of behaviors, but I guarantee you following all of those behaviors does not guarantee integrity. It's good, but the psalmist is really getting at something else about the transformation of a heart, about where we live. Jesus' other favorite word, abide. Come be with me, come see where I live. Psalm 15 starts with that question, who may abide in your tent, O God, and who may dwell on your holy hill? In other words, what does it look like to be close to you? What do the people who hang out with you look like, those who abide with you? What does it look like to live in your presence, and how does living near you transform us? And then there's that list of behaviors. There's a certain blamelessness that the psalmist talks about, a kind of genuineness. There's a a sense of speaking the truth from one's heart and everyone knowing that you do that. There's a sense of words being issued from a place of wholeness, and therefore there is no slander. There's no, no need to say something bad about another, even if it's true. There's a, a sense of no evil speech, no reproach, but to stand by what you have promised, and even to your hurt, if that's the need. In other words, these actions, none of them are self-serving. And that's why I love the one about not loaning money at interest. This is a Middle Eastern thing, by the way. Muslims believe deep in in the Quran there is the same kind of admonition to not loan money at interest. Not trying to profit from your abundance and another's poverty. And also not being duplicitous in some way. The Psalms call us to something they describe as an undivided heart. Psalm 86, verses 11 and 12 is a great depiction of this undivided heart, but it's something that's used in a lot of other places where the psalmist says, verses 11 and 12 in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. Give me that integrated heart that is about reverence toward you. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, the heart that's put together. This undivided and whole heart, this integrated heart. It's the same thing as what I read in the 101st psalm, as we had our opening sentences this morning, a life that's directed by loyalty to God and justice toward others. I will sing of loyalty and justice, O Lord. You know, the interesting thing about the word heart in Hebrew is that it's not this thing with four chambers that beats in our chest. The Hebrew sense of what the heart is a little, is a little lower, it's the gut. And It is in the gut that we experience so much, you know. I mean, brain science today says there's just as much brain in our gut as there is in our heads in terms of the nerves. So this Hebrew anthropology, this Hebrew sense of what's going on is not so far off from our modern sense of what we're becoming aware of that in our gut and on all of the hormonal things that happen there. There is a whole bunch of stuff that moves our will. And stuff we need to pay attention to. So the the Hebrew heart is the gut. It's the core of our being. And what the psalmists are praying for, I want my actions to come from a place deep within that reflects all that you have put there, O God. And all that you desire for me. So let me be so close to you that your mind becomes my mind, that your heart becomes my heart, that your actions become my actions. It's what St. Paul says in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. When Paul says what having the mind of Christ is, he's pointing to that humility that sense of not asserting one's will because you have the power to do so, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but giving it up, being willing to empty yourself of that for the sake of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours as you follow Jesus. That's what the psalmists are praying for when they pray for an undivided heart. When my mind is, becomes your mind, when my heart becomes your heart, when my actions become your actions, O oh God, my feet will also be on solid ground. I will never be moved. My house will, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, be built on the rock. The one who hears the word and does them, and not just speaks, acknowledgement of hearing, but the one who hears the word and does those words will be like the one who built his house on the rock. You'll walk in a sure-footed way. You'll live your life on a foundation from which you will not be pried loose, says Jesus. And so the big question is, is how do we get there? A lot of people are trying to sell us ways of getting there. There are a number of religions and theories about how you get there. But I think the question that we have to ask, is there a formula to follow? Is there, a, is, is there a pill we can take? And the answer to both of those questions is no. Because the bottom line is, is we simply have to walk in relationship with this one and keep listening to his invitation to follow. Present, active, participle, continuing action, following, That's what the faith is about, not a once for all choice, but a consistent desire to be in covenant relationship with the one who has engaged us to invite us to that relationship. So we keep listening. It's a willingness, if you will, to live awake to what keeps us following and to also what beckons us to choose another path. It's it's a willingness to listen to both the light and the dark invitations that we receive and acknowledge those. And either way, we're facing the truth. Either way, we're facing the truth because both of those things are going on in all of us. All of those things happen for all of us because we all live to some extent with a divided heart. It's just a question of how much we're listening to ask God to bridge the divide. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll notice both light and darkness as we listen and see. So how do we get there? We honestly acknowledge both light and darkness. (laughs) There is in Ignatian spirituality something that they call the prayer of examine. It's a wonderful prayer. It's something that everyone can do, and it's really something that you do as you fall asleep because it's really about praying backwards through your day. And it's asking yourself two very simple questions as you are preparing to go to bed, as you are in bed. Whenever I do this, I always fall asleep doing it. So this is not developing calluses on your knees. This is literally just reviewing your day and praying backwards through it and saying, at what point did I notice God's presence today? And for what am I most grateful? At what point did I notice God's absence today? And what am I regretting? Very simple thing. You know, for all of the times i went to boy scout camp with my son one of the things that i appreciated most about it was a song that they sang there called scout vespers which was a radically different experience from anything else that was happening out at camp parsons on the canal but it was this song sung to the tune o tannenbaum the "O christmas tree it softly falls the light of day as our campfire fades away uh, silently or quietly each scout should ask have i done Um, My daily task, I think it is, uh, have I kept my honor bright? Uh, Can I guiltless sleep tonight? Uh, Have I done and have I dared everything to be prepared? It's a very scouting kind of philosophical thing, you know? I mean, but but to have, you know, 11 through 16-year-olds singing this, it's one of the only melodic songs I can remember from scout camp. Everything else was rhythmic. But it's just, it's the examine. It's what went well today and what didn't go so well today. The honest acknowledgement of both of those things at some point every day is what begins to bridge the gap between the divide in our hearts, because it puts them in conversation with each other. It's a prayer that opens divided hearts to healing and being put back together. that God was present even when we did not acknowledge that presence or maybe even feel it. And it puts both parts of our heart, light and dark, in conversation with the one who made us. It's a pathway to integrity. When I was in seminary, one of the classes we had to take was the speech and reading seminar with a man by the name of John Holland and he had us reading things. He was an actor, he was not a pastor. Interestingly enough, just a sideline, if you've ever seen the uh, Rex Harrison, Audrey Hepburn version of My Fair Lady, John Holland was in it. He plays uh, Rex Harrison's butler, or Henry Higgins' butler. But he was our speech and reading teacher, and he had us reading all sorts of things that weren't the Bible to give us a sense of how to read the Bible more than with that kind of overblown reverence, which never really quite captures the Bible, you know. Now, let us attend to the holy reading of the Holy Word of God. <laughs> you know, the Bible is just too gritty to read it that way. And so, John had us working with a number of things, and one of them was Shakespeare, which was interesting to have a bunch of seminarians trying to read Shakespeare. But he gave us a gift in having us read the prayer of Claudius, the king, in. The play hamlet claudius is hamlet's uncle just to review the story for you and claudius decides to kill his brother hamlet's father and marry hamlet's mother and take over the kingdom thus displacing hamlet from his role of the heir to the throne and apparently he's away at school and too young and comes back to this mess and what happens is is that hamlet is visited by a ghost of his father and told that Claudius has killed him. And Hamlet puts on this play that shows Claudius that uh, Hamlet knows that he's done this thing because he's been able to keep it quiet and it looks like an accidental death. And Claudius knows that he's been outed and he retires to his chambers to pray. But his prayer is a prayer that he can't pray because he's wondering what to do with all that he has acquired if he actually repents. Will he have to give that up? And I just wanna read a couple of lines from this prayer because it's it's just so wonderful. He's kneeling at this point and he says, "'Oh, my offense is rank. It smells to heaven. It hath the primal eldest curse upon my brother's murder. Pray I cannot though inclination be as sharp as will. My stronger guilt defeats my strong intent, and like a man to double business bound, I stand in pause where I shall first begin and both neglect. And then he goes on to say, what what is prayer about in this circumstance? He says, where to serves mercy but to confront the visage of offense? And what's in prayer but this twofold force to be forestalled ere we come to fall or pardon being down. Then I'll look up. My fault is past. But oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder? That cannot be since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder, my crown, mine own ambition, and my queen. May one be pardoned and retain the offense? Good question, Claudius. (laughs) And then the prayer, it ends this way. What then? What rests? Try what repentance can, what can it not? Yet what can it when one cannot repent? O wretched state, O bosom black as death, O limed soul that struggling to be free art more engaged. Help, angels, make assay. Bow stubborn knees and heart with strings of steel, be soft as sinews of the newborn babe. All may be well." He's trying to pray, but what does he end with? Well, let's just keep things as they are. All may be well. And Dr. Phil would ask, how's that working for you, Claudius? Because at the end of the play, of Hamlet, if you've ever seen it, it's a stage littered with bodies. Everybody's dead, including Claudius. It's a recognition of two sides of our hearts that begins to make the difference in walking toward integrity. A refusal To allow those two things to be put back together becomes a conversation like Claudius' conversation, which is only with ourselves, whether we're kneeling to pray or not. A conversation with himself where he recognizes that his life will need to change if he truly repents. I have no choice but to sit in my sin and hope for events that will keep life as it is if I want to hold on to life as it is. And so he does, and so goes the conclusion of that play. Integrity is the result of being integrated, of being made whole. And the catalyst for the beginning of this process of growing into wholeness is listening and listening with a willingness to face the truth, both the light and the dark of the truth. And the interesting thing about that verb to hear in Hebrew is it's the same as the verb to obey. Get this, in Hebrew there's no distinction between hearing and obeying. Both come from that root, Shema. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. The prayer that every Jew knows, the prayer that is prayed more often than any other prayer. And so the invitation from Jesus is the same. Listen. Hear. And let the truth put you back together. Let that openness to the bad news of disconnection be a part of what enables us to allow God to cross the barrier that we've created and put us back together. For even the darkness of our souls is not dark to God, and the darkness is as bright as the day, for darkness is not dark to him. For wherever he goes, he brings his light And that light is a light that cannot be extinguished. Let's pray. Help us to hear and turn around, to see and walk toward, and in both cases, explore the truth. Lord, shine your light not just on our path but in our hearts, and so by the power of your spirit, build that bridge that you may occupy all of it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.